Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and uh, today we'll be exploring some insights and practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled conscious living in today's world. Uh, Yoga is a familiar word for most people today, but so many still associate it simply as a form of exercise. And when we talk about yoga on Yoga Hour, we're talking about the whole of it, the philosophy of conscious living. The Sanskrit word means oneness, union, uh, bringing our attention and our awareness uh, to abide in our essential nature. We could think of it as being responsible to our original wholeness, being fully self-aware, knowing um, what we are and then how to live in harmony with that truth of our being. And today's program uh, is especially um, inspiring on this topic, how to live fully and live well. And we're joined by Max Strom for a conversation about spiritually conscious living in our fast-paced world today. Uh, Max is a teacher, speaker, and author known for his inspiring and positively um, his ability to positively impact the lives of his students and readers. He travels extensively, teaches and lectures on transformation, spirituality, and yoga. And um, he has an ability to um, express very clearly um, what it takes to live a meaningful life and a system uh, for living with self-inquiry, breath work, yoga postures, and meditation. He's been a keynote speaker at numerous conferences and forums, including uh, two TEDx events. And of course, you can see uh, his TED Talks um, at the TED site. 
and his articles and interviews have appeared in many publications. Um, but today we're going to focus on his latest book, which is There Is No App for Happiness and uh, How to Avoid a Near-Life Experience. Even the title begins to give you a sense of um, his wisdom. And his website is maxstrom.com. Calm. Welcome, Max. I'm so delighted to meet you and have you joining us on Yoga Hour this morning. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be a part of it. Thank you so much for inviting me. And before we begin our conversation, let's just engage in a moment of um, practice to um, center ourselves and be more self-aware. Good. How wonderful to have the opportunity as we begin to explore something so important as living fully and living well. How wonderful to have the opportunity to just stop for a moment, to pause, to become more aware. And one of the best tools we have for that is our breath. So let's simply begin by becoming aware of our breathing. So notice your breath. Feel the air coming in through your nostrils, the cool sensation as it strikes the back of your throat. And as you exhale, feel that warmth. And breathing in, let's connect that with the feeling of diving within. Diving within to the infinite ocean of our essential divine nature. And breathing out, let's connect that with letting go, letting go of stress, Letting go of the idea that we are separate and apart. Breathing in, opening to our divine nature. Breathing out, letting go of feeling isolated from life itself. So begin to notice what it's like when you stop and become aware of your breathing and you intend to let that breath help you remember that you are connected with that one reality that is the source, the support, the substance of all that is right where we are right now in any and every moment. We are divinely connected. When we do that, we can begin to feel the peace that is always within us. And we can decide to abide in that peace throughout our day. Mm-hmm. 
Max's uh, new book, a wonderful title, There Is No App for Happiness. Um, right away, the title begins to have us think about well, what happiness is, um, which is, of course, one of the most important things we can contemplate. Paramahansa Yogananda indicated that <clears throat> happiness depends to some extent upon external conditions, but chiefly upon our mental attitudes. He said in order to be happy, one should have good health, a well-balanced mind, a prosperous life, the right work, a thankful heart, and above all, wisdom or knowledge of God. So we might also say self-awareness. And in our tradition of Kriya Yoga, this highest happiness really comes from the awareness of our inherent wholeness. And Max, I noticed one of the things that you um, do in your book, which is very consistent with what Paramahansa Yogananda did, um, which is to connect people to how it is we're really looking for happiness without having a whole lot of um, reflection about what it actually is and uh you know, how we find it and how we keep it. So let's start with that question of um, how you define happiness. I define happiness as the daily experience of a meaningful life. Because I find when I feel like my actions and words have meaning and, and help others, then I feel ultimately happy, even if external circumstances happen to be um negative on that day or in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's such a beautiful definition. Um, and I really appreciate it in your book, how you're, you're having people explore, you know, you have a lot of good exercises in the book and, um, you know, one of them is, is having people explore, um, you know, what happiness actually is. I, I think in our culture, in the West, anyway, we have, um, um, some idea that, you know, happiness um, is sort of being up, you know, all the time um, and that, you know, we're, we're seeking this happiness. But I think there's a lot of confusion around, you know, happiness um, and, and pleasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah, and that's- the, uh, we receive almost no education on the subject. I'm talking about the, the average, let's just say the average American isn't given a handbook or a pamphlet when they're young or too few of us have parents that will sit us down and start to teach us about the various types of um, definitions of happiness. And yet when I give my seminars and I have a show of hands for, you know, who, who would like to be happy? It's universal. Who would, who would like their children to be happy? It's universal. Every single hand goes up. It's really the most, universal desire, I believe, uh, of human beings, regardless of their spiritual intent, uh, second only to, would you like to continue to exist? That would Mm. be the first. And then, would you like to be happy would be the second most important thing. Um, Yet, we know nothing about it, really. We don't discuss it. I mean, we have encyclopedic knowledge about our favorite sports teams. You know, people that we'll never meet, usually. But when it comes to asking, well, what makes you happy? What what would make you happy? People will become very inarticulate. I find this extremely fascinating and and a problem in our society. It really is, and um, you know, we when we look at these questions, when we really confront them, um, there's a there is a sense of 
you know, for me of experiencing what, what the sages talked about in terms of the vast uh, majority of people kind of sleepwalking through life in this sort of haze of, you know, looking for something that um, they haven't really fully examined. And, um, you know, in fact, I was thinking about when Paramahansa Yogananda came to this country in 1920, the maiden talk that he gave was um, called The Science of Religion. And there's a little book out now that that has that speech in it. But in that speech, um, what he was pointing to was exactly what you just said, Max, that everybody is looking for happiness, but he sort of scientifically took it apart. You know, what is this happiness that we're seeking? And of course, it, it includes this you know desire um, to experience eternal life. Um, but it also is this form of what we would call higher happiness or bliss, you know, ananda, um, which again, people confuse as a high, but bliss is really the joy of self-knowing. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, there's a peace or a contentment that, that I think of as, as this happiness that we're looking for, that as you describe it with a meaningful life, um, helps us weather the storms of life. It's not about, you know, being, um, having a grin on our face all the time. Um, it's about having that deep quality of, um, knowing. Yes. And I think that we all need to, on a regular basis, uh, redefine happiness or recalibrate it, I should say, because as we age and have more experiences in life and develop more wisdom, our definition will evolve along with it. For example, when I was five years old, I really, it was really important to me to be a pirate. And now it's not nearly so important. Uh, My (laughs) definition of happiness has changed or my requirements for it, but not just since I was five, but, you know, since five years ago. And so it's an ever-evolving definition, really. And the first step, really, is to understand, I think, the difference between pleasure and happiness, like you were saying. If pleasure really gave us happiness, then um, doing cocaine would make everyone happy. But obviously it doesn't. It makes people very excited and and, um, up, as you said for a matter of hours, and then you pay for it for a matter of hours or days afterward with a depression, uh, hangover, etc. And happiness, there's no crash from happiness. Uh, true happiness or fulfillment is a sustaining force and mm-hmm. something that is nurturing rather than uh, up and down. Absolutely. And you did have done such a masterful job in your book about um, taking a look at the world that we're living in today and um, sort of juxtaposing um, our quest um, for happiness and what we're actually doing to avoid it <laughs> that gets in our own, <laughs> that gets in our own way and, and a big part of what you explore in the book that I really appreciated um, the way that you you talked about it and the way that you were able to kind of um, <clears throat> uh, put it in such a way that 
your reader can get a sense, it really, uh, of the urgency of this matter of self-awareness. And uh, I really appreciated the way you compared the technological explosion that we're right in the midst of this exponential growth of technology to the uh, Cambrian explosion of life on Earth. And, mm-hmm. and that we are not seeing that the big difficulty is that we're not seeing an equal, you know, rise of, of happiness and, um, and also the troubling part, the red flag is that we have technology evolving at such a rapid rate, but not human consciousness and specifically not human ethics and our ability to be more compassionate, more happy and so forth. Um, so that is really serious business, Max. Hmm. Yes, the way I, one of the ways I, I seriously look at how is society doing as a whole regarding happiness is look at the amount of emotional medication that people are taking. And that is a number that is rising really rapidly, uh, even since I've been speaking about it for the last few years. Um, just a couple of statistics. Uh, anti-anxiety drugs, antidepressants are now being used by one out of four women in the United States, about one out of five men, and rising. This is not a static number. It's it's jumped up tremendously in the last 10 years. And sleep dysfunction is now considered by the Center for Disease Control to be an official epidemic. So our nervous system in, in the United States is not doing well. And it's not just the United States because as you know, I travel to about 10 countries a year to teach, and it's pretty much the same in every industrial city. Mm. And so you're seeing this um, evidence that the human population is really under stress and um and, and you know we're fortunate in that we do have the technology that we need to um, alleviate that stress and also to take us on a different trajectory of self-awareness. But the problem is, um, for the most part, you know, we're not using it. That's exactly right. And, and thank God we live in a time where we have things like antidepressants for people who truly need them for um, you know, chemical imbalance and so on, or people who are under tremendous trauma. But what I'm pointing out is that I think it's becoming a lifestyle drug in our country where if people just feel bad, they'll medicate themselves as opposed to do the self-awareness exercises they could do to understand the cause and then deal with the cause to make themselves feel better as opposed to just medicating the symptom. We are becoming a symptom-based culture, a, a, a culture who's focused on symptoms. So, yes, I, I believe that self-awareness, our need for it has not changed. In fact, it's more of an imperative than ever because the other thing we drug ourselves with now, and, and it really is a kind of a drug, is constant entertainment. We have so many forms of entertainment to choose from that I think we're having trouble distinguishing between being entertained and being happy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, even in the, um, what, what I'm seeing, you know, ha- directing a yoga center over the years, um, 
and supporting people in their spiritual lives is that even in um, religious and spiritual centers, um, people are beginning to seek entertainment. Um, and that's a very, you know, with like the Megatron screens uh, during worship, um, you know, music <laughs> during yoga classes. Um, it's it's more and more distraction. Now we're we're going to take a break, but when we get back, um, we're going to take a look at three um, imperatives that Max has put forth to help us deal with um, the constant di- uh, distraction that we have and the tendency to want to get away from ourselves rather than learn more about ourselves and discover the happiness that's available to us right where we are. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Max Strom. You can find out more about his work at maxstrom.com. And we'll be right back with you. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. Are we nearing the end of the world? Reading the book of Revelation, you might think so. And it doesn't end well. But is it possible that the Bible's darkest story is a positive tale? Author Ed Townley, host of the Unity Online radio show, The Bible Alive, thinks so. A Bible enthusiast, Townley focuses on the metaphysical meanings rather than the literal text. In Kingdom Come, new from Unity Books, Townley takes a fresh approach to Revelation. The kingdom, Townley explains, doesn't await us in the afterlife. It's ours to experience today, as we learn to find the good even in our darkest challenges. Explore Revelation in a new light. Order the book Kingdom Come online today at unitybooks.org. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, It's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. 
Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Rev. Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today um, we're having a conversation with Max Strom about happiness, you know, what it is really, and how we begin to um, find it for ourselves. And we're drawing from his book, There Is No App for Happiness, How to Avoid a Near-Life Experience. And uh, in the first segment, we were talking about um, the fast pace of change and technology in our lives today and um, how our uh, happiness index is not keeping up with that and also um, how we're challenged um, to have a growth in self-awareness and ethics um, that is going to help us steer ourselves into a bright and uh, safe future, I think, for the planet, for our kids and grandkids. So um, this work um, that we call yoga, uh, becoming self-aware, is is not uh, simply a, um, a selfish, narcissistic pastime, but it really is, as I see it, um, critical to the well-being of um, people in their everyday lives and the long-term well-being of our planet. And one of the things that Max does in his book is he puts forth three imperatives of how to meet this pressing need. Um, The first imperative is that we need to become self-aware. The second is that we should live as if our time and our lifespan were the same thing. And the third is that we all need a daily regime, a regimen that heals, empowers, and illuminates our lives. So, um, Max, we've already talked a little bit about becoming more self-aware. And so in this segment, let's just sort of wrap that piece up and then move into this whole idea of time and lifespan um, being recognized as the same thing. Mm. Thank you. Yes, uh, self-awareness is something we're being heavily distracted from because it's easier to watch a blue screen than it is to go inward and study oneself. So we, we have to use our willpower a little bit to do it. And it's also important, I believe, to include our loved ones and peers in the process because we all do have a blind side, as you know, part of us that everyone else is aware of except for us. And mm-hmm. if we give our loved ones the opportunity to speak to us truthfully about it, we can learn so much. One of the exercises I give my students, uh, which is not in the second book, but in the first, and I think is one of the most important exercises a human being can do, is to consult your peers, so 
I'll explain it in less than a minute. You choose four, five, six of your closest colleagues, friends, people you respect and love, and it's returned. And you interview them one at a time. You never interrupt them. You just ask them basically three questions. What are my gifts? What am I doing well? In other words, what is my mission in life as you see it? And the third, how am I sabotaging myself from doing that? Is there anything I'm not seeing? And if you really give people clear permission to speak about this, they will. If you don't, they may never say their mind. Um, if you confer with only one person, then it's just their opinion. If you may disagree with their assessment. Five or six people, it's fact. And you will get a real picture of yourself, a snapshot from society in a way that can really accelerate your evolution. And I find people who have the courage to do this exercise, which is not that many, come back to me and they say, the thing that surprised me the most was not the critique. It was how people see my strengths. I didn't realize people saw me in such a positive way and so on. That is the most shocking to us. And that's what it was for me as well when I did it. Hmm. I can imagine what a powerful exercise. And even as you talk about it, Max, I can feel it in my body. <laughs> you know, the um, the kind of fear that we have. And, and isn't that such an interesting thing about us? You know, how we have um, this need and uh, this need really and a yearning at the deepest level to be self-aware. But we also have a fear about what we might find out about ourselves. <laughs> That's right. We're very complicated. <laughs> so, you know, it's no wonder that we, um, you know, try to uh, distract ourselves, which, of course, is the most disempowering thing that we can do. And um, and, I, and I mentioned in the first segment, you know, I appreciated so much the way that you are taking you know, what I think is a very cutting edge look at technology in a way that helps us really see it. Although, you know, if we look, we see it in our own lives. We see what it's doing to us, you know. Mm-hmm. every day when I find myself, you know, pulled to checking my email, I have to say, what, <laughs> you know, what is going on that is, you know, has that kind of power that makes you want to walk over to the computer and, you know, light it up. And, you know, mm-hmm. I go down, I walk down to the local park and I see, you know, parents, the kids are playing and the parents who are sitting there on the bench with their smartphones, um, totally disconnected from the children. Mm-hmm that they're there and i find that incredibly painful it is it is so you know we have that tendency i think that we have to fight which is to run away from ourselves um and so it seems that you know we have to be motivated in some way and we need to discover that when we actually do connect with ourselves it is the most satisfying and empowering uh way to live absolutely and just, just to be clear to your, your listeners, I'm not anti-technology. I, I, I'm actually an advocate of self-driving cars. I use GPS. I, um, I use electronic media every day for various things in my work. But we have to be very careful now since there are so many types, so many kinds, and so many different apps, software, etc., that we are now um, deluged with choices to only choose uh, electronic or... Um, computer-type technology that actually improves our life and gives us more free time rather than steals all of our free time. Mm -hmm. 
And really part of the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say that really ties into your second imperative, which is um, a, another way that you really help raise awareness and consciousness through your work, which is to have people really take a look at um, the how they hold the idea of lifespan, how important it is and how precious it is precious it is to have this time to be alive, how short it is, and then how they actually, how we, you know, we actually hold time, how we um, use time, um, and that those two are frequently disconnected. And sometimes technology today plays a role in that. So um, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, uh, it's really a really important issue. And it's even in our language, you can the difference we talk about life as precious as affirming as the most precious thing sometimes but then what do you want to do tonight i don't know i've got some time to kill i mean time to kill uh, that's because we think of time is completely different than life but our lifespan and our time is exactly the same thing and i think if we learn to speak of them in the same way uh we'll wake up a little more from our sleepwalking state and realize I don't have time to watch TV four hours a day and play video games two hours a day because that's that's my lifespan that I can't ever get back. So then we use the barter system to decide because our hours are limited every day to 24. So if we want more time, for example, to practice yoga, let's say, just as an example, and I want an hour to do that, and I say I don't have time, well, what what can I purchase it with? through bartering, let's say one hour of blowing up spaceships on my video game. I'll sacrifice that and buy one hour of yoga, and there, I have it. And I think if we think more like that, we'll end up with a schedule that more represents our core beliefs and values as opposed to um, living as if we are physically immortal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, you know, one of my favorite uh, sayings um, uh, coming from the Mahabharata is, you know, what is the strangest thing about human beings? Mm. And the answer that is given is that everybody dies, everything dies, and we observe it all the time, but nobody thinks that they will. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Mm. Yeah, so uh, we really need to look at uh, electronics from the point of view of, well, look in the past, the early industrial revolution, all the things that were marketed to us were time savers. If you look back to the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, washing machines, dishwashers, refrigerators, dryers, they were all to, to save time. Now the average person has most of those items. Now they're selling us things to fill up that time that we, they've created. So it's time for us to do basically a cost-benefit analysis on what we spend our time on and invest, and I use the word invest instead of spend, invest our time in what really is most important to us. Mm-hmm. And you you also you know spend time in your book of, of taking a look at how important it is for us to, you know, one, <laughs> be able to be in touch with ourselves and feel what we're feeling the value of that, you know, whether it's grief or joy, 
and the importance of intimacy. Of course, we have to have that with ourselves in order to have it with others, but you know how valuable that is. And both of those things um, or experiences take time and presence. And uh, so we have to look at, you know, how much are we distracting ourselves um, that taking up time that could be um, better uh, spent, you know, just with friends, for example. Um, You know, I've noticed over the years, um, you know, since I was in college, you know, (laughs) decades ago, you know, a lot of time was spent um, then, you know, what we called, you know, hanging out (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> with friends, mm-hmm. you know, we'd make a meal together. We, you know, would have our children were playing together. We'd have long political conversations, you know, and we had a lot of fun. And I remember that as some of the best time, you know, in life. But, you know, as things accelerated, responsibilities grew, it was harder and harder to find time uh, to spend with friends. But, you know, we notice now in the literature about health and well-being that those cultures um, where people are having the longest lifespan, uh, one of the key ingredients is actually friendships. That's right. That's right. One of the most important statistics to to tell as many people as possible right now is that according to studies, 90% of human interaction is nonverbal, 90%. So when we limit our interactions to text-based interactions, whether it's text message or email, etc., it's a 10% relationship. We've taken our relationship and shrunk it down to really about the least intimate form of communication possible. And if you think about it, if if you're traveling and you're away from someone that you love, let's say a romantic partner, you really miss the person. Would you rather A, get a text from them, or B, see them on Skype or some other uh, medium where you can actually see their face, mm-hmm. or see them in person? I mean, when you think about those three choices, it's completely obvious. It, it, I mean, these mediums are not fulfilling. Now, we are c- connected to many more people than we've ever been. That's a fact, and faster. That's good. But it's superficial for meaningful communication, we need to be in their presence. And it said one of the reasons our fight or flight mechanism is getting so off kilter, uh, causing sleep issues and so on, is it's through the nonverbal communication that we decide if we can trust someone and trust our own reactions to them. So if we're communicating with text, we're constantly just a little bit on our guard. I don't really know what you're thinking. You could be saying that, but you could be lying, but I can't tell from a text if you're lying but I can tell if I look into your eyes. Mm. So when we have face-to-face uh, communication, it makes us calm down, feel connected, and in a state of trust. And it's it's so critical in terms of our ability to be self-aware, as you say, yeah. to have that full 90% of um, you know what we use to assess um, a situation um, and there's another component to that, um, which uh, for me, you know, harkens back to one of your opening um, remarks, and that's there in your book, is that you know we're not taught, you know, we're not taught 
uh, generally, and we're not teaching our children um, some basic skills about being self-aware. So one of the things that that I became aware of um, early on in my spiritual journey was that the information was there. You know, I mean, I was a, I was able to pick up the signals, but because uh, but I was not taught um, how to process them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, uh, at the most basic level, how to trust myself. You know, which had mm-hmm. to do with you know not not being educated as to the core of uh, who I am. And so we're, you know, we're back to self-awareness again. So, you know, a lot of times people do get the signals, um, but they don't trust them when they get them. That's right. That's right. And uh, the more quality time we can spend with our loved ones, the healthier we will be. And we have to understand that that cannot be replaced by uh, virtual reality. Uh, virtual reality is virtual. That's why it's called virtual reality. It's not actually reality. And and it seems that, you know, when, when we talk about the components of a healthy life, a fulfilled life, a meaningful life, a satisfying life, it has to include, as you've put forth in your third imperative, a daily regime um, that helps us uh, stay balanced, you know, connect with ourselves, um, put our priorities in order. Um, just uh, this, give us a couple words of it to introduce us to that, and then we'll focus on that in the last segment of the program this morning. Sure. Well, in America, 40% of Americans don't exercise at all. So they have a numerous health problems, which are covered a lot in the media these days. But it's a very religious culture America is and spiritual but we tend to separate them there's our exercise and there's our spirituality maybe our meditation practice and then we play tennis and we don't realize sometimes that our exercise regime can also be part of our spiritual regime that's wonderful and you know it's certainly the way that you know yoga uh, looks at life, which is it's whole. <laughs> you know, there isn't your spiritual life and your material life, and so many problems come from separating it out. But you know, I think there's so much more we can do um, in in terms of including the the wholeness of it all. You know, time with family, uh, exercise for well being, um, nurturing uh, supportive friendships, and and so forth, and our work. I mean, all of it, all of it, all of it is spiritual practice. So when we come back from the break, um, we'll, we'll dive into that topic. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with today's guest, Max Strom, author of a wonderful new book called There's No App for Happiness, How to Avoid a Near-Life Experience. You can find out more about Max at maxstrom.com, and we'll be right back with you. Did you know that the Buddha gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that Jesus gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that both these masters taught exactly the same thing? And guess what? They did not teach the law of attraction. They taught the great paradox of prosperity. You can have anything you want. Why, you can have things you don't even know you want. 
but not by wanting them. Instead, put your attention on the vibrant presence of the divine within. Do that and your life will change. It has to. That is the natural order. Want to crack the code on the great paradox? Get Janet Connors' The Lotus and the Lily. Available everywhere great books are sold. Are you saying to yourself, I'm going to focus on me starting Monday? or right after the holidays, or on my next birthday. Well, we are here to say, don't wait another moment. Your health is the most important gift you have for yourself and those you love. Start now to become a more vibrant, healthy human being. Take that critical first step and join us every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central on Awaken to Your Best Health, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and my guest today is Max Strom. And we have been talking about what happiness is, how we can stop avoiding it, and actually put our lives on a clear and strong path towards experiencing um, the fulfillment that we're, we're really wired for. And we've been talking about the three imperatives that Max put forth in his book, There's No App for Happiness, um, that first, we need to become more self-aware. Second, we need to really look at and understand and then live uh, in accordance with um, knowing that our time and our lifespan are really the same thing. And his third imperative we're going to focus on in this last segment, which is uh, learn and keep a daily regime that heals, empowers, and illuminates. Um, so, of course, that's right in alignment um, you know, with our teachings of Kriya Yoga that uh, a daily practice, steadfast practice, is, is, is really called correct practice, a steady practice. Uh, one yoga teacher uh, said, there, in yoga, there's, there's no holiday from yoga. Uh, we don't take a break um, because it really is our life. It's the way that we live. Um, so, Max, tell us about this third imperative, which uh, is about a steadfast practice every day. Yes, I, I, I truly believe fr- from my observation of tens of thousands of people um, moving uh, together and studying how to move their body that the the average person uh, walking the street is has very little awareness in their body. And this, of course, creates a lot of the illness that we have and uh, problems that come later in life that we just call old age, but actually are just an accumulation of things we've ignored for decades, mm-hmm. like taking your arms overhead, for example, if, if you go to the airport and you watch 
people go through that x-ray where they take the arm, you have to take your arms over your head. Most people can't do it. They can take their arms, their hands over their head, but their elbows can't get up there. It's not because mm-hmm. they're old. Some of these people are 45, 40. It's because they don't lift their arms over their head. So their range of motion is gone. Um, so uh, we need not only to make ourselves stronger so we can fit into our clothes and look nicer or lose weight, we need to also stretch the body. Stretching the body triggers our rest response, our relaxation response, in, uh, in opposition to the fight-or-flight response that we're constantly triggering. It is one of the main ways, besides meditation, stretching, that we can make the body and nervous system relax. But more importantly, a lot of us don't realize that our emotional life and our physical life are not separate. We experience our emotions in our body and we store emotions in the body. These accumulate, especially the negative ones, because we tend to suppress them in our culture, things like grief and fear. We tend to push down because they're socially unacceptable. And so this causes new problems. A lot of our behaviors, such as addictions, I believe, are based on these suppressed emotions. Mm-hmm. If we include a breathing practice and a meditation practice into our physical practice, then we really have something. This will make ourselves stronger, more flexible, keep ourselves younger, longer. But importantly, we recalibrate our emotional world every day, our emotional life, so that we don't accumulate negativity. We keep ourselves clear of negativity. And this takes a huge burden off our heart and therefore our relationships. Mm, it's so beautifully expressed. Um, just that our daily routine um, can help us stay open and current with life. Um, you know, and we, we, do, we learn in yoga about the patterns, you know, that are created from past uh, experiences, you know, that are recorded uh, imprints in the mind. And, um, and the way in which becoming self-aware and um, being able to release with the breath and stretching, just as you've said, um, we, we, those patterns can be removed from the subconscious. And if they're not, then we don't see clearly and we tend to superimpose the past on the present um, and, and we make uh, mistakes in how we see things. Um, we become, you know, reactive rather than responsive. And uh, so, you know, I agree with you, Max. I see a daily routine and I know it, you know, in my own experience, you know, I know from watching myself um, that if I neglect my um, meditation, um, my self-care, um, then I'm just not a balanced person. I don't even like myself. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a daily routine, um, I think helps us be um, really our best self. Yes. Yes, the, the key component that's missing is the breath. Because if we breathe slowly and deeply while we exercise, it helps us stay focused on the present and doesn't let our mind wander. And once again, we are highly tempted to have a wandering mind because if you go to your gym and get on a life cycle or a treadmill, there's a TV screen in front of you once again. And unfortunately, if you watch TV while you exercise, 
You are actually training yourself through a daily regime to disassociate from your own body, to mm-hmm. not feel it. Mm-hmm. And Hatha yoga is such a wonderful, um, if it's done in the right way, is such a wonderful practice to connect the breath and the body. And, yeah. um, and, and we do, you know, sometimes experience uh, emotion coming up uh, with the practice that has been suppressed in the body. Um, and we also experience um, the, the release of, you know, those, those wonderful um, chemicals in the brain that have us feel pretty nice. Yes, that's right. It's astonishing how much we suppress feelings. Whenever I give a breathing workshop where we do some strong breathing practices, I would say 75 to 90% of the class will shed tears 20% will go into full weeping, sobbing, mm-hmm. simply from breathing deeply. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that, that weeping, um, you know, we experience that sometimes just when people come uh, to worship service on Sunday and yeah. there's, a, there's a time of um, breathing and then silence. And sometimes, you know, people will weep and it's not necessarily a sadness, but more a feeling of a kind of homecoming. You know, like yeah. I have been so disconnected from myself, and all of a sudden there is this opening of the heart and the mind and the body that the the, the tears are are like the the overflowing um, from the heart that that is uh, really precious. Yes, that's right, the, the, and that is why. We must not fear grief because the only way out of grief is through it. And once we're out of grief by going through it, going through the process, our heart is, uh, the vice clamp is taken off our heart, and that's where we can really experience extraordinary levels of bliss or connection with our fellow human beings. And mm-hmm. it's this avoidance of grief or, or vulnerability or shame that causes us really to lose our intimacy because the heart doesn't filter so well between I'm going to shut out this emotion and not that one. It tends just to shut down, to to Mm. numb. And so this is why breathing uh, as an exercise is so important because it will enhance all of our relationships. And it's just a perfect place for us to conclude. And, um, you know, it's so simple really, isn't it? You know, just to breathe and, be conscious of breathing. We is something we can do um, throughout the day. Of course, not every moment because there are times when we're uh, engaged and having our consciousness focused on something else. But just a few moments of conscious breathing um, reconnects us to ourselves any time that we want to do that. Uh, it's really been a joy to share this yoga hour with you, Max. And I want to remind our listeners that they can find out more about your work at your website site maxstromstrom.com join us next week on the yoga hour as we continue this series on healing and wholeness Um, marty what key 
um, uh, will be back with us talking about neurospirituality and how to train our brain for awakening. And for more information about Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, remember, um, please to visit our website, csecenter.org. And please subscribe to Yoga Hour at iTunes. Let your friends know about it. I look forward to being back with you next week. Until then, remember to breathe consciously. Remember to let your inner light shine into the world. Share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Thanks again, Max. Thank you so much, Yogacharya. And thank you, Jeff, in the sound room. It was a good session this morning. for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. www.csecenter.org Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary, topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better. He's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? (laughs) If I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. Inspiration only takes a moment. Consider these inspirational thoughts from the Quest for Prayer from Unity House Books. Holding a special, loving thought for other people benefits us as much as it benefits them. In fact, in some ways, even more so. Consider, for example, what happens when you wash your car with a hose. What gets clean first? The inside of the hose, of course because the water must rush through the hose before it can clean the car. 
So it is when we hold loving thoughts for someone. As those loving thoughts rush through us, they bless us first. It is a win-win situation. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. From mayhem to miracle, from disaster to divine, Rants to Revelations Radio finds the opportunities for spiritual growth in everyday moments. Drawing from current headlines to pop culture, Reverend Ogan blurs the lines between the sacred and the profane, bringing meaning to the meaningless, with guests who are dedicated to transforming the world for good. Join Ogan live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central for Rants to Revelations Radio. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 